Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. I want to I speak tonight on a, on a little concept that I read about several years ago, and I just, I just want to talk to you about it tonight. It's called Thinking Laterally. Everybody say thinking laterally. I want to talk about it. Now, I'm, going to, I'm not going to take time to read this text tonight, but it's from Luke chapter 10. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. You've read it. You've heard it. It's been preached many different ways, many different times by many different pastors. But I want to talk to you tonight about thinking laterally. Edward de Bono was born in 1933, and he invented what was called lateral thinking. He established a school in New York that he called the Edward de Bono School of Thinking. He wanted everybody to know who was the author of it. He established another school in England called, by a British title, the Cognitive Research Trust that did the same thing. It taught people how to think laterally. He explains that what he means by lateral thinking from an experience he had as a Rhodes Scholar when he was at school in London at Oxford. One night while he was there attending a party in London, he got back late to Oxford after the gates were closed to his dormitory. And he had to climb two walls to get to his room and he was perhaps a little bit inebriated. And he said, I got over the first wall without much difficulty. I came to the second wall and noticed it was exactly the same height as the first wall was. So I had no difficulty with that one either, except when I hit the ground, I discovered I was back outside the first wall. (laughs) He had climbed across a corner of that fence, climbed this one, and then climbed that when he was right back outside. So he tried again. This time, trying to pay more attention to that second wall. That's the one that will get you, that second wall. And he noticed that there was a gate in the second wall and that the gate was lower than the rest of the wall. It also had footholds on it, so he decided, instead of climbing a wall, I'm just going to climb over the gate, which he did. And when he was astride the top of the gate, it slowly started opening. (laughs) It never was locked. Never. And he learned a lesson that night. And here's the lesson he learned. No matter how good you are at climbing walls, you should always pick the right one. And the second lesson, some walls don't have to be climbed. You can enter through a door no one ever imagined. Hallelujah. I like that. That's how he discovered lateral thinking. Solutions that move laterally and sometimes even backwards until you find the gate that nobody knew existed. Have you ever heard that Jesus was the door and that he's the gate? Have you ever heard that the Lord wants you to walk through him instead of trying to climb walls? I like the story of a solution that Edward found for a corporation that had its office in a tall New York skyscraper. The building, it turned out, did not have enough elevators. And the result was that the office workers were getting impatient, even angry, 
waiting at the beginning and at the end of every day for an elevator to get to their office and to get out of the, out of the, out of the building. Several suggestions were tried, such as staggering the work hours, working 24 hours around the clock and not as many people in the office, speeding up the elevators. And they even looked at the possibility of putting an elevator shaft outside of the building. Then Edward de Bono was called in and he offered this ingenious suggestion. You ready for this? He said, install mirrors around the elevator doors. The people will see themselves because they like to see themselves in the mirror and become so fascinated with themselves, they won't notice they're waiting for the elevator. (laughs) Pretty smart man. And it worked. That's what we call lateral thinking. Instead of attacking the problem head on, you move to the side until you find the open gate. Because every wall has a gate. Say it with me. Every wall has a gate. God wants you to understand that tonight. There is a solution, hallelujah, to every problem you face in life. There is an answer. God has an open door for everything that you think is closed in around you. I'm talking about lateral thinking. Some men in the Bible days did that to Jesus. He was teaching in a house one day, and the crowd was overwhelming. And a paraplegic man wanted to see Jesus because he needed a miracle, and they couldn't get through the door. So four men found a gate on top of the roof, hallelujah, and let him down, and the rest is history. Jesus found a man at the pool of Bethesda in John 5. He asked if he wanted to be made whole, and the man said... When the water is troubled, I have no man to put me in the water. See, the man saw healing only one way. And he was looking at a Messiah who created it all by his word. Somebody help me now. The savior of the world, the healer of all men. Let me stop and say, because you haven't got your healing the way you think you ought to get your healing, You need to hang on because Jesus has got a way to touch you like nobody else could ever touch you in your life. Well, I got a little excited on that one. So Jesus found a gate and he walked in and the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked on the Sabbath. Jesus was into finding ways to ministering to people. Jesus was never into walls. The Bible said he tore down the middle wall of partition. There were 60 walls inside the gates of Jerusalem when Jesus started walking in that city. And by the time he had died and was resurrected, all those walls were torn down. He called himself the door. He called himself the gate of the sheepfold. And he encouraged people to come in the door and find the door and come into him. And I'm here to declare to you tonight that I'm not preaching a wall that holds you out. I'm going to preach about a gate that brings you in. Every one of us in this house need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this church is not about walls that hold you. Oh, somebody help me preach right now. This church is not about walls that hold you out and things that we think ought to keep some people out of the house of God. This church is about inclusivity. 
that opens itself to people and say, why don't you come on in the gate? Why don't you walk on in this place? Because this is the gate of heaven and this is the house of God. Amen. 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 In fact, in fact, when we built this church over our baptistry, we had a portal there. A portal is, a, is an old gate from the old country. And it had four parts to it. And we call that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. The four gospels of the Christ. Who was the gate? Who is the door? And we wanted people to see it. And many, many times when we first built the church, I preached about the portal. It's inconsequential now because it's been here so long. But I want to declare to you, this church is not a church of walls. It is a church of a gate. Hallelujah. And some of you need to understand that the thing that you're running into and running into and running into, if you'll just keep walking a little bit this way, a little bit this way, you're gonna find a door and the door is gonna swing open by itself and you're gonna run face to face to Jesus Christ and he's gonna be the healer and the savior of all your needs in your life. Would you clap your hands and rejoice to that? I'm about ready to start preaching tonight. Hallelujah. Biblical scholars have technical terms for what Jesus did with parables. Everybody say parables. They call them metaphors. And you know what a metaphor is. It's, it uses a familiar, something that's common to all of us to enable you to see something that you've never seen before. And Jesus used parables to get you to see something that you probably didn't want to see or could see before. But instead of confronting a person head on, which will cause them to see what is coming and build up a resistance, a parable moves off to the side and finds an unlocked door and enters into your life with a surprise and says, I'm here. Some of you are in the house of God today because the Lord didn't meet you face, face to face and say, I'm coming into your house and Katie bar the door. But he stood to the side and allowed you to find this problem situation. And then he just kind of slipped in and said, I'm here. Because Jesus is not into walls. Mm. He's into gates. As a child, I assumed that parables were just illustrations of common knowledge and wisdom. Simply that Jesus used parables as a good preacher would as simple illustrations. But that's not the way it was with Jesus. Instead of using parables to illustrate the common wisdom and morality of culture, he used them to challenge people in their life. He wasn't confirming their picture of the world. He was trying to get them to see the world in an entirely different way. I want to stop and say this right now. I don't mean to be political. I never am political. But there's an election coming November the 8th in our nation. Tuesday, the first Tuesday of November. And I want to declare something, what God spoke to me today. I'm just going to, this is not my notes. I'm just going to stop right here and just preach right now, okay? The Lord never was concerned with who was in the palace. Pharaoh was in the palace, but Moses was the voice. Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar was in the palace, but Daniel was the voice. Even in a faraway country of Shishan, Ahasuerus was in the palace, but Mordecai was the voice. You hear me. It doesn't matter who gets the office in November. I'm declaring to you, there still will be a voice. There 
will still be a voice. God's church will still declare that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would somebody rejoice with me here tonight? There will always be a voice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I could preach on that right now. The Lord moves laterally to get people to see another side. So in this Good Samaritan story in Luke 10, it's a great example of this. Most often, it is used as an illustration of common decency. You know, just decent people. What would a decent man do? You can see that round sticker on RVs that says, I think Mark and Diane's got one on theirs. It says the Good Sam Club. I'm teasing. They don't have one on there. And right next to it, there's another stick, sticker that says, we're spending our children's inheritance. <laughs> we have a fund in this church that we use to help people who come here for emergency assistance. It's called benevolence. And it is a worthy cause. And it's a precious cause because we care for people. This church is a good Samaritan church. Somebody say amen to that. It's been a part of this church's ministry for a long time. We're not ashamed of it. We're not afraid of it. And by the way, I just thought I'd, I might ought to throw this in too. Just go ahead and say it. We may have 11 to 16 acres given to us in the next month. See, when you give, God's going to give back. But he's going to give back better than what you give. He's going to give back heaped up, pressed down, shaken together and running over. We may be the owners of some new property free of charge in the next three or three months. Hadn't happened yet, but I'm speaking it. Because God's going to always have a voice. He's going to always, I'm not afraid to speak anything. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But if it does, I said it. I'm not a prophet, but I might turn out to be one if it happens. Hallelujah. So periodically we ask you if you'll contribute to something and do something to help out that person. And that's what this parable teaches on the surface. That we're benevolent. That this man was benevolent. But if you read the parable carefully, you will see it moves laterally and then it surprises us. And I'm going to preach the surprise tonight. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Say it. Who is my neighbor? Now we're in life groups, okay? Who is my neighbor? A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Number one, he was a Jew. And he was coming from Jerusalem, so he was going down because Jerusalem was on a hill. And number two, you would know that he's a traveling down a dangerous road. So you're not surprised to learn that he's robbed and beaten and left in a ditch to die. Now along comes in succession a priest and a Levite. A priest is the leader of the community. The highest office that one could hold in the Jewish, in the Jewish custom. He was a steward of the moral law. But a Levite was a member of the most religious family in Israel, the Levites. And he knew what to do morally in any situation. And the expectation, these men would surely help a fellow Jew. Say amen to that. Amen. The law of Leviticus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Is that what it says? And what's more, neighbor was even defined. I'm going to put it on the screen. Your neighbor was a fellow countryman. And your neighbor was a fellow Jew. That's what your neighbor was. And the man in the ditch is a Jew. 
and the priest and the Levite is, are Jews. So the expectation of the audience was that they would stop and help the neighbor, but one looked and one saw and they kept going. They didn't stop. Jesus isn't taking us where everybody expected. He's moving laterally. Now watch him. Here it comes. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. Read it with me. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. Pastor, I know this story, yeah, but I'm fixing to give you some lateral thinking on it, okay? Here is the Jews' expectation of the Samaritans. The Samaritan is going to finish off this poor guy lying in the ditch because they hate us and we hate them. That's what the Jews thought. Samaritans were identified as the enemy. They were half-breeds. There was a saying in those days, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Everybody knew this? Just ask any of them. Samaritans were immoral. They were unprincipled. They were opportunistic. They were mercenary. They were rapacious. And they were violent. And you would never, ever trust a Samaritan. They were just the worst vile people in the whole world. And if you had been robbed and wounded, lying by the side of the road, alone come a Samaritan, you better start saying your prayers because you're fixing to die, brother. That was the expectations about Samaritans. But Jesus is moving laterally with this. So look at what happens. When he saw him, the Bible said, he was moved with pity. And went to him and dressed his wounds. Hallelujah. And he poured oil in those wounds. And he poured some wine down him. And then he put him on his own donkey. And brought him to an inn. And took care of him. And the next morning when he departed. He went back and told the innkeeper. I'm going to give you two denarii. And I'll be back the next time I'm in town. And if you spend more. I will take care of the expenses when I come back. There it is. There's the story. Jesus is not telling the Jews to obey Leviticus, love your neighbor. The Samaritans are not your enemies, they are your neighbors. So Jesus throws back into the lawyer's face, who is your neighbor? Watch this now, here it comes. And the lawyer says, the one who shows mercy. Grace Is undeserved favor. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. There is a place that a child of God in this house can play. One who shows mercy. I want to preach an old thought right now. I want to throw it at you and I hope you receive it. Lasso it and put it in your heart. Sometimes we can get to a place in our life. Where we are so tainted with things that go wrong and bump in the night with some people's lives. That we want to throw them to the wolves and say, I'm through with them. I'm done with them. I'm not going to take anything else from them. But the one who shows mercy is our neighbor. In 2016, this church still needs the same mercy it showed people in 1990 when I became pastor of this congregation and didn't have enough to fill even this section right over here. I'm telling you, the church still needs the same mercy that we had then now. The church, no matter what ISIS has done, 
no matter what Muslim faith has done, no matter what people have done to you in your life, there is a church that still needs to say that God loves everybody and that we need to open our arms and say we're not building walls here. We're letting the gate open and let people walk in this place and find Jesus Christ. Somebody has got to show mercy today. Mercy. Jesus said, if you follow me, you can no longer divide the world between Samaritans and neighbors. So I ask this church today, I ask this church, do you know any Samaritans? A Samaritan is someone you'll have no dealings with. People who you work with, folks on your street, somebody you say, I wouldn't be caught dead with them. Some may be your own family. Of course, it's on your spouse's side, not yours. Socially, theologically, educationally, morally. Do you see how barriers can get constructed? First, we have an opinion about somebody. Stay with me now. Then we share those opinions with our closest friends. And we learn that they agree, so now it becomes fact because somebody agreed with our opinion. But your opinion doesn't matter when it doesn't match the conviction of Jesus Christ. Our neighbor... A neighbor is one that shows mercy. Can you look at somebody who's scuffed up, who's fallen down seven times and needs to get up the eighth time? Can you lend a helping hand to somebody that's about to go under? Or do we say, you know what, you just might need to go someplace else? Can we absolutely be a church that shows mercy to people that walk in here and say, I've been ragged by alcoholism? I've been drugged down by drugs. I've had immoral activity in my life. Can we look at that person and say the gate is open? We're not going to build a wall to hold you out. Because Jesus still needs a church that shows mercy to people when they walk in this house. Come on, clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Amen. Amen. I was in a church years ago preaching a revival. I hate to tell this about a church I preached in. I should have had more discerning of spirit than that. But an old boy came to the altar one night, and I said, I just felt compelled to go pray for him. And after the service was over, the pastor came up to me, and he said, you need to let that guy alone. He said, he's no good. He's been no good all of his life. I've dealt with him. I've worked with him. Maybe you worked with him with a made-up mind, Pastor. Maybe your mind was already made up with him and you couldn't see what God could do with him because you couldn't be what God needed you to be. Maybe new hands need to be laid on him. And he came back the next night. I looked at the pastor and I looked at the man, looked at the pastor, looked at the man. Because after all, he was paying me, you know. I didn't want to get a zero because I had a car payment that week. Even though I was single, I was living cheap because I could Taco Bell it all my life. But I needed a little help because I had a car payment coming up. I looked at it and I said, oh God, something said pray for him. And I started praying for him. Started praying for him. And all of a sudden he broke. And then he started confessing everything the pastor had said. He said, I'm no good. I'm sorry. I have disappointed the pastor. He's been the best friend I've ever had, and I've been mean. I've been arrogant. I've been, been uh, 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 obstinate to him. And he said, I'm just, I'm no good. 
And I said, God's fixed to make you good. I said, you ready for me to pray for you? He said, I'm ready. I laid hands on him. I felt like the prophet Ezekiel. I felt like Peter. I felt I, the hand of God was just moving on me. I said, I got to do this. And I looked at the pastor, looked at him, looked at the pastor. And I said, here we go. Jesus, do a quick work, a quick work, a quick work, a quick work. He fell out. Holy Ghost got all over him. He was refilled with the Spirit of God that night. I went over here and I ran back to the pastor and I said, man, we're having a move of God on this side. He didn't ever see me. God closed his eyes. Hallelujah. And when I left that revival, that man was still coming to church. He had his family in the house of God. Because sometimes we can get preconceived ideas about how somebody's going to receive this God. But I'm telling you, a neighbor is one that still shows mercy. Come on, church. Are we going to show mercy? Are we going to give mercy? We're going to give grace a chance in this house. We're going to show mercy to somebody. Woo. So pretty soon the barriers go up. Then eventually, and this is terrible, you begin to think you're virtuous because you have no dealings with them. And you become virtuous because you won't touch them because they're unclean. But if you're a Christian, according to this parable, there are no longer any Samaritans, not according to Jesus. With one lateral move, Jesus got rid of a whole class of people, and that class became our neighbors. All the outcasts, he got rid of them, and he said, we're all neighbors. And when Jesus was put in a grave, they placed a wall in front of him and sealed it. And the stone was sealed shut, but he made a wall, a door, and he came out. And he's still ministering to people that need his touch today. I'm preaching this because I don't want us to get settled on our lees. I want God to pour the wine from vessel to vessel. I want us to be stirred up about people that's going to walk in our church door. And they're going to want Jesus Christ in their life. And I want this church to always be a church that shows mercy. Can you raise your hand and say, so be it, Pastor. Come on. So be it, Pastor. we got to show mercy. An elderly rabbi, and I'm closing, Randy, if you'll help me. I told you it wouldn't be long. I just hope I was pretty decent. An elderly rabbi once asked his students how one could recognize when the night ends and the day begins. And one student raised his hand and said, it's when from a great distance you can tell a dog from a sheep. And the rabbi said, that's not it. And another student said, it's when from a great distance you can tell a date palm from a fig tree. And he said, that's not it. He said, it's when you can look into the face of another human being and see that they are your brother and they are your sister. Until then, the night is with us. I want you to look across the aisle and look, look at your wife and look at your neighbors. I want you to look at them and say, you're my brother. I want you to say it to them tonight. You're my brother. You're my brother. You might say you're not as handsome as I am or as pretty as I am, but you're my brother. Come on, come on. This is, this is a bonding night. Come on, we're going to bond a little here tonight. Say, you're my brother. Come on, say, you're my sister. Take me by the hand. Together we'll work. Come on, you're my brother. Aren't you glad when you found Jesus, somebody in a church had mercy on you? Aren't you glad a church gave you a chance? Aren't you glad that God brought you to a house? Come on now. John was on Patmos, heard the voice of the Lord. He turned and saw seven golden candlesticks representing the seven churches. 
And behind the candlesticks was one that looked like fine brass. Here's the point. He would have never seen the Lord had the church not been in its proper place. Because the church exposed the Lord. This church, when it gets into a forgiving spirit and a merciful mindset, and we love everybody, I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. The walls disappear and the gate swings open because it's never been locked. The Lord's will is not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? And we must believe that God is with us. Paul's on a ship in Acts 27 and there's a storm that's coming called Eurachlodon. But when the storm was over and the ship dismantled, people floated to shore in all fashion, some on boards and some on planks and some holding on to fragments. And all 276 were saved, holding on to portions of the ship. Some of them got to shore with partial strength and partial faith and partial truth. But no one was lost. Here's what I want to tell you. Not everybody that you know is going to see it like you see it and believe it like you believe it. I'm going to say it again. Not everybody that comes in here is going to see it just like you. I promise you, Austin is weird. Anybody ever seen one of those stickers? They all, somebody ought to make a sticker like that. Keep Austin weird. I said today, was invited to lunch today by two precious people visit our church two weeks ago for the first time. One is an owner, a business entrepreneur, and the other is a man that's made his fortune in, in oil and resource. Now, you got to get this, folks. You got to get this. They were so moved by the presence of God in one service sitting in the balcony. They said, we want to take the preacher out and just sit and talk with him. We want to touch him and just see real. Really? Boy, I was eating that salad today over at Central Market. And I was, I was presenting Jesus the best way, West Texas way I knew how. And one of those men, that's the old man, was crying. And I got to crying. We got to patting arms. You'd think we're his brothers. He's my neighbor. He's my neighbor. Going to come to church again Sunday. They've been looking for a church for five years. And they stumbled on to Christian Life Church. And they realized there's not walls in this house. There's a gate in this house. And his name is Jesus Christ. Would somebody clap your hands real big? Would somebody clap your hands real big? Hallelujah. 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 A 
Octavius. Come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. Y'all know this is my surrogate son, don't you? You didn't know I could produce a son this big, did you? Love you, son. God has is, God is taken this young man's ministry to the halls of the university, to the sports complex of the university. You know why God opened that effectual for him? Because he's not a wall man. He's a gate man. And he understands that there's a gate, there's an effectual out there that people are going to walk through. And this young man is going to be the representative, our Joseph in that Egypt. That's going to bring many brothers and sisters to the Lord Jesus Christ. I honor him tonight. I love you. Octavius, everybody's your neighbor. I love you, son. Is that awesome or what? Is God setting us up for something here or what? Is there some excitement tingling in your spirit right now or what? Hey man, you just never know. You just never know. Would everybody stand and act like you enjoyed the sermon and start clapping your hands, would you? Hey man, I love you. You just never know. Come on, let's praise him a little bit. Come on, let's praise him a little bit. Come on, let's praise him a little bit. Come on, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up. Let's praise him a little bit. Let's praise him a little bit. Let's praise him a little bit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody say generosity. Everybody say restoration. Everybody say acceptance. Everybody say community. Everybody say with excellence. That's an acronym of G-R-A-C-E. That's what we're going into 2017 with. A church that's generous, has a heart for people. A church where you can be restored to your full potential. Amen? A church that accepts people just the way they are but turns them on to a Christ that could take them where they never thought they would be. Amen. A community of believers that love God with all their heart and we're going to do it with excellence around here. Come on, with excellence. With excellence. With excellence. We're going to give grace a chance. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.